Hey everyone, it's great to be back with you. This is our 19th episode of Becoming Mandela. And so, do you know what? I'm starting to think that we're becoming part of a team. Which is great actually, because today's episode is looking at Ubuntu. Which if you've not heard of it before, is all about teamwork. It's about recognising that we live a life of interdependence. Ubuntu will challenge the modern day culture that our success and our life is measured by what we do as individuals. That it is more about me than about us. Actually, quite simply, Ubuntu is summarised as I am because we are. Here's Trevor. So when I started cycle racing and I was getting good, the first thing they said is you need a coach. And you kind of, well, why do you need a coach? Because you're getting good. Surely now you're getting good. Why would you need a coach? And, and of course, the whole point is you cannot be your best on your own. Sports have known that for forever. You can't get the best out of yourself by yourself. You've got to have a coach. You've got to have a bunch of people uh, around you. I, I managed to get um, a day with the Renault Formula One team once. And you look at the size of the team. It was in the days of uh, Alonso. The size of the team that made him able to win the world championship. It's, sure. it's massive. It's I am because we are. So the notion that we can become the best version of ourselves on our own is is nonsense, quite frankly. And I think for me, that's always led to what is is probably the most practical outworking, which is who's on your team. Because if this is true, if we cannot become fully the best version of ourselves on their own, then we need a team. So who's on that team? And I, I think it's a very intentional piece of work we have to do in our lives. So I think you're going to find this topic as fascinating as it is countercultural. I guarantee you will go away from here with a different perspective on your work life and how you interact with those around you. That's a big claim I know, but you'll see what I mean. Are you good? Okay, let's go team. So welcome along again to Trevor's study. Um, we're sat here, the coffee's on. And, you know, this is a bit of a momentous episode in Becoming Mandela because over the last two or three months, we've been looking at the character traits that we can work on to become the best version of ourselves. And this episode is the last one. So, uh, yeah, it feels a bit of a milestone, Trevor. Uh, it's great to have got here. And this is one that I think probably... Out of all the ones that we've done so far will be the one that when people read the title or think, well, what's that all about then? So this is the character trait which is called Ubuntu. So um, we're going to discover exactly what that means. And I think really the way that I'd sum that up is just sort of set the scene a little bit is that if we're to become the best version of ourselves, then it's not just about us, but it is the people and the context that we find ourselves in. So I guess, Trevor, what we're saying here is that, um, and I'll get you to define Ubuntu in a moment, but this is all about who we take on the journey with us, isn't it? Um, it's definitely that and a lot, lot deeper, basically. Yeah. 
Sure. So, so let's start then at right at the beginning. So let's talk about what, give us a bit of a definition of what Ubuntu is all about. Right. So Ubuntu, and I've used the word as it's used when it came out of South Africa, but Ubuntu is a, a basic philosophy that is a, a, a deep and a traditional view of leadership, a view of life, I guess you would say. And the underlying philosophy is of Ubuntu. It means that I am because we are. Right. I am because we are. So my individual identity is utterly wrapped up in our relationship, relationships. So Ubuntu was a deep, deep philosophy. The reason why it's important in this becoming Mandela and we can dig into it further, is it's the philosophy of life and leadership that Mandela was immersed in from his birth until his death. And apartheid could not have been ended with any other philosophy. Really? Yeah. So there's lots to explore in this. So it goes deep. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, you talk in the book, about an experience when you were lecturing in London, an Indian lady yeah. who, who who sort of identified the difference between Western and Eastern culture, and and Ubuntu is much more of a kind of an Eastern culture than it is here in the West. Is would that would that be true? Well, Ubuntu as a word would be seen to come out of certain African cultures, but that's why I say it's got real depth because if you if you look at other cultures, then what it's based on is the notion that the world is interdependent. So you can come at this a number of ways. So Ubuntu says, I am because we are. So that's a philosophy. But if you look at the, let's, I'm going to talk about brain science. So if you look at the way the brain is constructed with right and left hemisphere and the way they both work, and they both are, are grasping the same reality from different perspectives, the right and the left hemisphere. But the underlying thing we learn about how the human brain functions is it looks at the whole first, that everything is in relationship, and then goes to the individual, the part, the thing, the bid. So that's the, in terms of how the, the brain works. So um, one of the great writers on this, Ian McGilchrist, he says, you know, first you have relationship, then you have the thing. Right. So you can look at it that way. You can look at it in terms of um, just evolution, ecology. So when we look around us, every human being is not born an individual. They're actually born out of relationship. And when they're born, their whole body is full of relationship. And they're born into a world that is full of interrelationship. So it's not like human beings existed and then another day came along and, you know, there were trees and plants and rocks and dinosaurs and whatever. No, no. There was the world in this constant, creative, evolving state and into this massive interdependence. We came into that interdependence. Therefore, we are interdependent on everything around us. And... Um, so that's an, another perspective. You can look at another perspective and say um, from a spiritual perspective. 
So the whole Christian doctrine of the Trinity basically says that at the heart of reality is relationship. Mm. The, the very center of being is relationship. So whichever way you want to come at it, through philosophy, um, in terms of you know, brain science, spirituality, there is this deep, deep truth of interdependence. So that's where Ubuntu sits in. It's a reflection of this deep truth about the world that you and I live in and our place in it. And we'll spin out some of the implications of this because it's all around us. But we have lost in the West this whole perspective on the reality of life and it's a it i would say it's affecting everything so here i am then in london um talking about eldership and uh, i was talking about my first book on the subject of eldership to plant a walnut tree and this lady from india puts her hand up and i was talking about something she's like it's not like that in india she said when i came to university it wasn't i didn't come she said, my village came. And what she meant by that is not literally, you know, a few hundred people got on the airplane <laughs> and came over to London and shared her flat. What she meant was, I, I am part of my community. I am an expression of my community. Who I am is formed, was formed, is being formed in my community. I am here because it will serve my community. And every dimension of her experience, she viewed through relationship, through community. And I think that's a typical expression of what we would mean by Ubuntu. Yeah, it's great. It's a wonderful analogy. So let's go back to Mandela then, because you mentioned him and came up with that great phrase that apartheid wouldn't have been possible without Ubuntu. So, so what does Mandela's experiences or teach us about about Ubuntu? About Ubuntu. Yeah, it's not not uh, apartheid wouldn't be possible. It wouldn't have been ended without Ubuntu. Sorry. Yes. Yeah. 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 So. <laughs> The, the way to look at it is you've got one group of people who believe they are dominant and privileged over another group of people who they oppress. The people that they oppress are numerically in the majority and they've been in that land way, way before the others. So it, it is this deep oppressive system that then filters down to every single aspect of society to oppress black South Africans. So how do you end that? Well, everybody thought it would end in a bloodbath. That's why they never wanted black people to have the vote, because they thought if black people get the vote, and if they won, won the majority vote, then they would rise up and obliterate the whites. Um, uh, and even the language, it was quite shocking, because we lived in South Africa for a while, is... The language that people use in South Africa is everything is you're black, you're white, or you're coloured, which when you're from England, that sounds a little bit, whoa, hold on a minute. But that is the language they use, so that's the language I'm using here. So the thing about Ubuntu is that Mandela was brought up to believe that we together, all of us, black white, yellow, whatever color, whatever background, whatever race, are, are one. 
we are part of one humanity. And that that one humanity produces all of this difference. So he made it clear right from the beginning, from his background, is I am not trying to flip the thing over and say the whites were dominant and the blacks are being oppressed. Not flip that over to the blacks will be dominant and the whites will now be oppressed. But to justice and equality for all, for everybody. Everybody's got the same rights. So the power of the Ubuntu philosophy was this. People were saying, well, I want this. And the other group said, well, I want that. And that's a very Western way of, you know, I want this, I want that. And let's see if we can haggle down the middle and compromise or, or whatever. And it was very difficult to see how you could compromise in a situation like that because lives were being destroyed and were feared would be destroyed one way or the other. So the thing about Ubuntu is nobody got what they wanted, but everybody got what they wanted. In other words, what Mandela was not looking for is, well, you have a bit of that and we'll have a bit of this. We'll compromise here. You can have a bit of that. The bigger game was humanity. The bigger game was how do we create a space where every human being is treated equally, has equal rights, equal opportunity as, as everybody else? How do you create that? That's Ubuntu. So he wasn't looking to chalk up little wins and victories. He was looking up to chalk up a way of seeing humanity. Now, I don't, I don't know, I'm not, I, I, and you can correct me, I don't think I've ever heard a Western leader approach any situation like that. It's usually adversarial. Sure. Um, and you know, it's going on in the world right now with different conflicts and it's usually adversarial, but Mandela came with this whole other approach to find a way through. So in, in, in many senses, he, he upset everybody and he won over everybody because <laughs> he was finding a different way through an impossible situation. And of course, the vote went through. People queued up. They voted. The ANC got into power and there was not a bloodbath. And everyone was shocked. Mm. You know, they say this was a miracle. This was a miracle. How did that happen? And the answer is Ubuntu. Yeah. So how do we take that lesson from Mandela, which is which you've so powerfully described there? And what do we take from that and apply into our lives? And how do we get Ubuntu into what we do? I keep thinking about it. You know, I would like to say I've got my final answer on this. And I, I, I don't because I think it's so deep that I, I keep on working at it and looking at it. But so where I'm at right now is, is a kind of higher level and an everyday level. The higher level is to challenge our perspective on life, basically. Is I think as a Westerner, a lot of our perspective on life is individual about me mm. and then it's about us it may be if it suits me <laughs> and I, I think you know historically yes human nature has always been pretty self-centered but in terms of culturally that's quite in, individual like that it's quite new 
but it's grown rapidly, I think, in the West. So it just means the way we approach everything is it's through an individual lens. And I think if you took it at a big level, so take the climate crisis. If we were coming at it through the lens of, of Ubuntu, of the we, then we live in an utterly interdependent ecosystem of which we are part of, not boss of, not ruler of, but but part of this creative ecosystem where everybody's behavior affects everybody else. So Ubuntu would say, I am because we are. So we would focus on the we are. So what do we need to be? Okay, well, we've only got one planet. Okay, so what does that look like? Because right now we are extracting the resources of one, well, it's over one and a half planets but we don't have one and a half planets, but that's yeah. the rate at which we're using up the resource of the planet. So, but that comes out of, but I, 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 I want to keep what I've got. And, you know, I want to keep my gas guzzling car. I want to keep my fuel. I want to keep this. I want to keep that. I, 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 I want to keep, I don't want to be unconvenienced. I don't want to be discomforted. I, I want to keep earning my money that way. You know, it's very much I, Whereas Ubuntu flips it around and says, what if we started with we? What do we need? Because if we don't answer the we question, then every every I is then affected. Yeah. Every I. Um, and, and, and every I is. And it's easy for us to kind of think, well, that's a long way away because we're not involved. And I've traveled in places where you go, absolutely, I can see firsthand the effects of people living with that. And there was one even, you know, I live in the East Anglia of, of England. They said in 85 years from now, a massive percentage of East Anglia is likely to be back underwater. You know, so so the we, it really matters that we start with the we. Yeah. So what do we want it to look like in this community so that every individual I can, you know, live a reasonable life? So I think our whole approach to life needs to come under the challenge of Ubuntu because it really does affect uh, everything, the way well, you can take any any issue, really, uh, and, and say that who, who you are, your life, will be shaped by the we, what's going on around. But we, we, we start with I, we get it around the wrong way. So I think... There is that kind of perspective on life. And then bring it down to the individual. And, and there's so many answers to that. So let me give you... So yesterday I got a text from a friend in Malawi who I worked with a fair bit when I was working a lot in Malawi who says to me, um, I need 400 pounds. And, um, you know, it's like, well, what's your reaction to that? Mm. Oh, yeah, there we go again, you know, trying to sponge money and, you know, and, um, you know, what's your reaction? Oh, well, if I give it to him, he'll probably waste it or spend it. Or, you know, there's all kinds of reasons and reactions that can go on in your head. So that's one set of reactions. Another set of reactions is this guy's my brother. He's not my blood brother, but he is... In terms of someone that I've met, 
and worked with. He's, he is my brother. I know his life. And I, I've worked in Malawi, and it's probably the poorest country I have worked in. So I know the level of desperation that people live with in a way that we have got no idea. And I know that he doesn't every week send me a text saying, I need 400 quid. And um, so my approach to him was, this: if my brother said, and what had happened is he was running a contract and the person that was due to pay him had cleared off on holiday and he couldn't pay his workers and he wanted to honour the people that he was employing. But he couldn't do that because he'd not been paid. So would I help him? Would I bridge that for him so that he could honour that? So I said, yes, I would. And I mean, I might not always be able to do that, but I could on this occasion. And um, but but for me, that comes from, well, how do I see this person? When I started working as a director for the charity Cherish Uganda that works with abandoned and orphaned children who are infected with HIV AIDS, I I was deeply struck. In fact, it was the same kind of thing when I started Emerging Leaders. So here are these children who, through no fault of their own, are infected with HIV AIDS, which is a death sentence unless it's treated. And um, and there was, it was the same thing when I started Emerging Leaders, uh, walking around the slums of Lusaka, seeing these kids scratching around in the dirt and asking Alfred, who's showing me around, you know, this little girl here, how often does she get to eat? He said, well, she probably gets one meal every two or three days. So whether it's the children through Cherish Uganda, whether it was the children in the slums of Lusaka, what was going through my mind is, I wouldn't treat my kids this way. I would not walk on. I would not walk. My kids are not Mr. Meal, ever. Mm. Um, so I, 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 I can't walk by this because, and there's this wonderful phrase, in um, in the Jewish writings that says, are they not your children? Are they not your brothers and sisters? And it's like, well, yes, of course they are. Well, you wouldn't treat your sister like that, would you? No, I wouldn't. Would you treat your brother like that? No, I wouldn't. Would you treat your kids like that? No, I wouldn't. So I think that's Ubuntu is, okay, so what is coming across my kind of horizon today? That if I looked at it through different eyes, through the eyes of we, rather than me, what would I do? What would I reach out for? How could I contribute? How could I serve? Because it it digs into this issue as who does your life exist for? And Ubuntu would say your life exists for the benefit of others. It is formed through others. I mean, I, Trevor, didn't just drop into the world on my own. I came through parents. So I was born out of relationship. I was born into relationship. I was formed through relationships in an interrelational world. So, okay, so what's my place in this world to then contribute into this interrelationship? And, and that's Ubuntu. What, what's my contribution today? How can I serve? Who does my life exist for today? 
So that's where we get down to the practicalities of, so, so what's there? What's that thing? What, what could I do there? How could I help there? Because the, the real heart of the philosophy is, look, who you are is shaped by the we. Yeah. So if I focus on me, then I will become as big as my own ego. And if I just focus on the people that I kind of get along with okay and like a bit, then I'll focus on my aside. My life will be as big as my ego plus a bit. But if you flip it around and say, actually, um, I'm going to open up my life to be a player, a contributor into this inter interdependence from which I came out of and I'm part of, and I'm going to contribute into it, then you will become as big as the interdependence. So it affects who you become. So how did Mandela become a global player? It's because he had a global heart. Because he had a heart that was shaped by Ubuntu. He's like, I'm not just in this for me. I'm in this for the nation. I'm in this for, in, for, in, for injustice in the world. Say with Martin Luther King, same with Gandhi. They, they had global-hearted hearts because they had this view, this philosophy. So it shapes who we become, and uh, one way or the other, it shapes who I am. So if I go back to that core phrase, I am because we are. Yeah, I love that. And, and I suppose what that means, therefore, is that we look at, we look at our lives and partly what can we do to, you know, you took the issues around global warming and the resources of the world, and how do we better use or not use the resources that we've got which is how we influence at a global level we will all have our own situations that we're influencing within within our work sphere or our at home and in the communities where we live and it's about thinking about how we serve those before we get before we get our own benefits out of it, isn't it so for example in the work situation, obvious one you know, to a certain extent work is competitive because everyone's looking to move on and make the next step up and actually what ubuntu is about is how collectively i work for the good of the team or the workplace that i'm on so that we all succeed and that will make me more of a person and that will help me become the best version of myself irrespective of the title that i hold absolutely and i think some organizations have got this so in organizations where the metrics reward individual success, then it will breed um, competitiveness. Forget what their values say that are written down on paper. It is look at how people are paid. And some organizations are now saying, no, we're going to pay you based on the team's results and your contribution to the team. Mm. So I am because we are. So if we don't succeed, I don't succeed. And I think that's true at a whole organization is to look at the whole, what does success look like for the whole organization? And, and again, some of that will be monetary, of course. A company needs to make profit, needs to reinvest profit to keep on growing. But, uh, you know, the whole idea of cooperatives was formed out of uh, I am because we are. You yeah, know, We're making this business work. This cooperative is working, and hey, we all benefit from that. Um, so that idea of shared ownership, 
you know, it, it would mean that we would look at how we how we run our businesses, how we run our teams, how we re- reward them, for sure. And I don't know whether you've caught this uh, or not, Trevor, but knowing that I was going to be talking to you about this topic earlier on, I found actually on Netflix there's a documentary series called The Playbook which looks at coaches and the impact on of their teams. And there is a program, one episode, that's about the NBA coach, Doc Rivers, who led the 2008 Celtics team to the first NBA championship. And he built the whole team spirit around Ubuntu. That was the concept mm. he got. He got talked about it by one of, her, one of the college lecturers where he was at. And, and he said there was a really brilliant bit in the in the series where he says, look, to, to me, Ubuntu means I can't be all I can be unless you are all you can be. I can never be threatened by you because you're good, because the better you are, the better I am. Yes. And I, and I just thought that's just what a, what a concept for a yeah. team to have. And, and some of it I've always found boggling <laughs> that we even have to be explaining it. So when I started cycle racing and I was getting good, the first thing they said is you need a coach. And you kind of, well, why do you need a coach? Because you're getting good. Surely now you're getting good. Why would you need a coach? And, and of course, the whole point is you cannot be your best on your own. Sports have known that for forever. You can't get the best out of yourself by yourself. You've got to have a coach. You've got to have a bunch of people Around you, I managed to get um, a day with the Renault Formula One team once. And you look at the size of the team. It was in the days of uh, Alonso. The size of the team that made him able to win the world championship. It's, It's massive. It's I am because we are. So the notion that we can become the best version of ourselves on our own is is nonsense quite frankly and i think for me that's always led to what is is probably the most practical outworking which is who's on your team because if this is true if we cannot become fully the best version of ourselves on their own then we need a team so who's on that team and i i think it's a very intentional piece of work we have to do in our lives so let me flip that question back to you then, Trevor. So who's on your team? It, it changes, but... Um, so I've always had some elders on my team. Um, so I wrote the book Plant a Walnut Tree about Eddie. Yep. Eddie was a fictional character in the book, but is also a real character in real life. So he's been on my team since I was, gosh, 18, 19, I think. Still alive to this day. And, you know, we still meet for coffee. So there are people like that, but I, um, obviously my wife's on my team and my, my kids are on my team. And that's an interesting one because the relationship is changing. And the reason why I'm putting them on my team is they help me grow up. They help me grow up and, and that's not always comfortable. So it's the team is not people who are there to just, you know, stroke you like a kitten and make you feel good is, is the challenge of growing up with your children and that relationship needing the constant renegotiation about what does that look like now these children are in their 30s with their own children and the changes involved in that means it's a constant challenge 
for me to grow up and hopefully I can invest in them as well. It's a mutual thing. So they're on my team. Uh, I've got friends that I work with in Emerging Leaders Days. They're on my team. Brendan, I spent time with him again this afternoon. Brendan is another elder in my life. He was at time uh, the chairman of Emerging Leaders, but he's still an elder. We still, um, because I, I have chosen to let him keep on speaking into my life so I brought something to him I said look what do you think about this and we had great debates to try and work out well what is a good thing to do in that particular situation I've had therapists in my life as part of my team and I think they've been essential essential parts uh, I have what's called a spiritual director in my life who is is like a mentor to help me work through kind of the deeper questions around meaning for me, which are really, really important. So I need to work with someone that brings perspective um, on that. So I think they're on my team. I have a lot of people I've never met personally on my team. So there are mm -hmm. certain writers right. who challenge me and stretch me that are on my team. So Ian McGilchrist is on my team. Uh, Father Richard Rohr is on my team. Ken Wilber is on my team. So, and I can probably go on, but I, I was trying to give you an example of this range of people. The one thing I would say is uh, most people on my team, I've had to ask them to be on my team. Because a lot of people say, oh, it's great, you've got this and great, you've got that. But I've had to ask them all. You know, I, it took me two years to find someone that I felt would really be able to stretch me around the deeper meaning questions. And I had to I had to seek them out. For any therapist I've worked with, I've had to seek them out. Um, Peter Hawkins, who wrote the foreword for the book, he's older than I am, got a lot more experience than I have in a whole bunch of areas, and I'm delighted that he wrote the foreword for the book. Um, but I sought him out. You know, I phoned him up. I said, could we talk? And I did the same when he helped me think through some aspects of the book to plant a walnut tree. So none of it happened by accident. It was always seeking out the mentors, seeking out the elders. Because sure. I, I knew I needed the team. So how do you, so apart from seeking them out, how do you discern the right person to, to be on the team? Uh, part of it is just, is realizing we need a team, not one person. So it's not like one person can do all those things in your life. Uh, I mean, someone like Jane can say things to me that nobody else can say. Well, I do the washing up. I do the washing up, yeah. <laughs> no, but I mean, she can give me feedback at a level that I wouldn't trust anyone else to. Yeah. To be honest. But it's necessary. So there's got to be trust, I think, because if they're going to be a good team player around you, they're going to be able, they're going to have to be able to say to you uncomfortable things. Yeah. Not just the comfortable things. So, um, so there's got to be trust. We've got to know that fundamentally uh, we are on the same team and, and we we like each other, we love each other, we respect each other, even if we disagree with each other. 
we're on the same team. So I think that that underlying trust has got to be there. And then I think, I was going to say, you don't have to commit straight away. Get to know someone and think, oh, I think they've got something to offer. So the reason or the way I found eventually the right person to work with at a more meaningful kind of spiritual level was I had tried to have a conversation with a number of people who had advertised themselves as someone who could do that. And I'd had a couple of conversations and I thought, well, really nice people, but I, I don't feel you know more than I know. And I want someone who, when I'm with them, I'm kind of going, well, I've not thought of that. Mm. I haven't seen that. That's a different perspective. Um, and someone who wasn't, clocked into just one dogma i wanted someone who looked at lots of different things and was very open and, and could really help me look at all kinds of perspectives and eventually you know having had different conversations and thinking oh, is this is this ever gonna happen i actually heard a guy being interviewed on a podcast and uh, about a book that he just written and I, I love the book sounds familiar yes <laughs> it was familiar so i read i got this guy's book i read the book i love the book because it really helped me understand some of my own motivations for starting emerging leaders that i'd never been able to put into words so already i'm thinking oh you're helping me find something that i couldn't find before and i remember talking with someone about looking for this kind of spiritual mentor call them what you will and uh, I said, I want someone like that person. And then I suddenly thought to myself, well, why don't you write to them? So I did. I found their website. It was as simple as that. I found their website. I found a contact email and I wrote to them. And thinking, they'll probably never come back. And he came straight back. Said, yeah, great. We'd love to chat. So we had a conversation on Skype. And I have been in conversation with him for the last two years. Brilliant. So it's it's fine, but he would be no good for what I get from Brendan. Do you sure. mean it's a totally yeah. different, totally different thing? Um, so part of it's trust, it's intention, it's you don't need to commit straight away. Just try and get to know someone, and um, and and accepting there are different people for different aspects. But the the overall thing is. The team is there because you are recognizing you can't become the best version of yourself on your own. Yeah, it's good. And I think also from a work perspective, there's another um, story I want to share is about Howard Schultz, who's, um, yes. who's the guy that mm. formed Starbucks. And he wrote a great book, which is called Pour Your Heart Out One Cup at a Time, which is um, which talks about the story about how he built Starbucks up. And he early on recognized that he had to change his strategy in terms of building people on his senior and his exec team, the people that were around him at the top of Starbucks organization. And he realized he had to recruit people who were, who were far better than him at the jobs that they were recruited to do. And up until that point, he'd felt threatened by that, but he actually realized that if he wanted to be the best that he could actually be, he needed to have people who were better than him in the roles around him. And I suppose that, and that, really spoke to me as well and I think that's a great lesson isn't it because sometimes we feel that the success we have is going to be down to us and therefore if we use that as our criteria for success then 
then of course we've got to, we don't want to be, we don't have the light shone upon us of others that, that may be more successful than us in aspects of what we do. But if actually it's about ensuring that, that our team is the best and we connect our success with the success of the team, then, then actually we just want to get the best people around us. Yes. And that's where, you know, organizationally the mission and the vision are more important than the individual because that's, and then, then you everyone can then submit themselves to that. So no one is above that. Everyone is submitted to that. But I think it's a great example of finding someone who is further along the track than you are or better than you are in a particular area. Because I, I think there's two things. One is they will stretch you. you. You will grow. But the bigger thing is, I think, is the very reaction inside us, the ego reaction that says, oh, I don't want someone in that role because it will make me look bad. That very issue is the issue to then take to therapy or mentoring or something because that's the growth issue. Mm. There is no great leader who's not had to deal with their ego. We've talked about this before. So even that choice to get someone who's better than you is going to kind of turn up the heat for you to then get someone else on your team like a therapist. So you've got this new employee and now you've got a therapist to help you grow because you feel the ego pain that you're having to wrestle with to support this person who's better than you are in that area. And and the team are helping you grow. Sure. Um, do you know, I could talk about this all night because I find it such a fascinating subject, but um, I've realized the time is is uh, is catching up on us. So we better deal with the the challenges that you're going to put to me, but leave to everyone listening to go away and have a think about, because this is, um, yeah, stretched me and made me think of, uh, of ideas and concepts that previous hadn't really delved into. Great. And my, um, prefix with all of these questions each time is you just have to answer them at the level that you feel comfortable because you and I are in public here. Um, but my first question to you would be who's on your team Who's on Team Dave that helps you become who you are becoming? Uh, and what role does each person play? Sure. So I think clearly, you know, my wife would be the first one on that on that list. And we have that ability to just, she can speak into my life in the same way as you said with, with Jane into yours, which others I wouldn't really allow them to do that. So we have some really great good conversations and yeah walking the dog on a Sunday gives us real chance particularly because the girls aren't with us to 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 sort of do that but she's also be a great one for um for bringing me down a peg or two if I get carried away as well which is uh which is important so so Miranda would be one and I think I've talked about these guys before but I have a little there's there's two other mates of mine and we meet up uh once a month pretty much and we um we have a meal we drink a glass of red wine and we just chat about the issues that we've got. And we've kind of called it our running mates group. It's kind of like we're, we're running together, doing life together. And and they've been fantastic in terms of, you know, we must have been doing this now for, goodness me, six, seven, eight years. I don't know. But it feels a long time and they've really helped. And that they're, they're important because they know a bit about my work life. They know a bit about me outside of work. And, and so they're there to support, encourage but also challenge. And that act of kind of having a deliberate date in the diary and a time to mm. meet for me is a really important discipline because it's easy to get carried away with the urgency of the now 
and not allow those times. So by the fact we put it in the diary and there's three of us and therefore we don't want to let each other down, we we make those meetings and and they're and they're really, really important. And I think because again we've mentioned before I'm a leader of my own organization, then there are there are key people on my on my work team who who I work really closely with who who also support and help and encourage and who I learn from and help to grow me and you know I set the business up with Steve who I knew from from university and and Steve and I have worked really well together and he would speak loads he's helped to shape and form the person that, that I am and I'm you know really grateful for what he's done and he's certainly been on my team for we're working out the other day actually he's been on my team for nearly 40 years so we're going to do we're, we're planning a 40-year friendship stroke business partnership celebration for for next year which uh, i'm looking forward to so so he would be the obvious one but actually there are others within my team that report into me but who still really help me you know uh people that, that are managers of some of the clubs that i'm more closely involved in with and um yeah some of the guys that have functional roles ops directors training managers marketing mm. managers in my team they would really uh help shape me as well and, and do you see any gaps? Do you think actually the more you've kind of dug into becoming Mandela, there are gaps in terms of who you want on your team? Yeah, I think I think perhaps the the away away from work. So the how do I develop the person that I am outside of work? Work has been quite an identifier for me mm. because it's been a big part of my life. And there's going to come a time probably you know in the next decade when that won't be the case anymore so i need to think about you know this this whole becoming mandela series has really made me think about well what am i going to do you know that we've talked you know without going back over i'm sure we'll do a review at the end but but the do not linger you know the idea of what's going to come after i actually don't work quite the hours and the commitment that i do to my business what is it that i'm going to do next and i think Having somebody that could help shape me in that way is what I'm going to need to find out over the next year or two to help me work through that because that time is going to be to be coming. Great. So another question is, as you think about interdependence and how your life is part of my life, others' lives, what, what, what benefits do you think that it gives you as you kind of identify own more of your interdependence in the world i think i've realized over time that the greater the most enjoyable successes and the the greatest moments of elation if you like or successes that i've had in my life are down to when you do things with others and actual individual goals, whilst they're nice to achieve, they're nowhere near as fun as as something that you've worked together as a as a group of people. So that so that interdependence, that sense of of working together and each contributing our own little bit, but effectively the team being so much more than the great than the the addition of all the individual parts mm. is is a is a great concept and it's a great sense of fulfillment that when you when with different people you work together and you get something something done so i think for me that would be 
that would be a key part of it, I think. And, and I also think I get far more success when I'm working with, with others and when I'm trying to do stuff on my own. Yeah. So the third question was, you've read the chapter on Ubuntu, we've had a conversation about Ubuntu. How, how it might be too early to say, how do you think it sh- has shaped or is shaping? How does the view of a Ubuntu shape your identity, who you are becoming? I think it reinforces to me the importance of everybody's role within the teams that I'm that I'm on. So I think it if we just took about a couple of them. So so in a work situation, it just reminds me and reinforces to me the importance of working with those that in terms of seniority have have the least amount of you know seniority on the team. Interestingly, back to the the example of the basketball coach and the Netflix series, he started with the rookies. So he got the concept into the rookies and got them to sell it into the higher players because they 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 were working on the basis of saying, look, we're not worried about trying to get you out of the team. We just want to support you so that you can go on and be more successful, so that the team is more successful and we we play our supporting part. And that was how he rolled Ubuntu out. And I think actually, so so spending time with those people that are in the more junior positions in in the organization and working with them i think that's something that i need to to really think about how we work through and how we honor and respect those people that are in those in those roles um and i think the other thing that it speaks to me loads about is the is the parenting role that i have mm-hmm. and just making sure that that my children i think schools particularly because it's about GCSEs and what your grades are. It's all about comparison. And so I think, you know, as parents, we have a real responsibility to get our children to understand the principle of, of Ubuntu and that it's it's not necessarily about comparing yourself with others. It's about working together in the groups that you're going to be forming and whatever it is you're going to go out to do and, and enjoying the success of the team rather than worrying about your own success. I think particularly we tend to at that teenage stage that my kids are at, we tend to get them really focused about what is it you're going to achieve? You know, mm. where are you going to go to university? We're, we're in, everything is about competition. Will you get the grades to beat the other person to get into university? And at that point, we need to... So, yeah, I think there's a really important to speak that in. Great. Thank you. Well, I don't know about you, but yeah, I, I think what a topic to end on. We've kind of every... Every week, every time we sit down with Trevor, I always think, wow, that's a great topic. How are we going to top that next week? And uh, I think we uh, we did leave the best to last. I love the whole thing about teamwork and Ubuntu and understanding that we that we work with others and it's a, we identify ourselves with the groups that we're in rather than just ourselves as individuals. So I hope you found that fascinating too. Don't forget, connect with us if you've got if you've got feedback or stories that you want to share with us, we love to hear them. So connect with us on social media or at trevorwall.net. We'd love to hear your feedback. But join us next time because we're going to delve into this whole new section of the book, the last section of the book, and we can tell you a bit more about how we bring all these 14 characters together in becoming Mandela to create the best person that you can be. So we'll see you next time. (music) 